Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we're going to be wrapping up our Disney Decade series. We're doing the 2010s, yeah, this, which just happened. Yeah, as I was gonna say, this feels a little weird to me because we it's just so recent. It feels strange talking about it. It does. But for completeness purposes, <laughs> we're going to do it. We're going to wrap it up. This has been a long-running series, so if you have not heard our other decade series, uh, we've been doing this since pretty early on in the show, but we take each decade that the Disney company has been in existence and kind of talk about the highs and lows of the company. A lot of interesting things have happened in the 100 years that Disney has been around. A lot of things have happened. Disney has been a really interesting company because you figure it started before the Great Depression, survived... And then has just completely had to go and grow and change, but at the same time, keep the same core mission of kind of touching the lives of people around them and leaving the world better for having existed, essentially. But before we cover the 2010s, let's go over the Disney news for the week. So the big news of the week is Disney announced food and wine over at Epcot, and it is basically the whole year now. I think <laughs> next year is just going to be all food and wine. But it's going to run from July 15th to November 20th. And I think the big news is not only that it is like supersized in terms of dates, but also that Disney dropped the taste of kind of moniker before it. So all of last year, all of the festivals had taste of. So it was a taste of food and wine. It was a taste of the Festival of the Holidays. It was a taste of flower and garden. You know, it was kind of pared back a little bit, but they've dropped it this year and it's just called Food and Wine. It doesn't sound like they're going to have the concert series. They're still going to have the Voices of Liberty there and some of the the local entertainment like in Canada and, and whoever is else around in some of the countries. So maybe still not, you know, full on with a concert series, but I think this is a good sign that all the booths are going to be open and kind of there'll be more offerings this year versus what there was last year. Yeah, that's a four-month-long run there for food and wine. So, you know, gives people a lot of opportunity to make sure that they get there. Definitely. And with Remy opening in the middle of that, it's kind of an exciting time to be in Epcot. Looking forward to seeing what the food offerings actually are this year. They haven't really, like, announced the food. I'm sure that will be coming soon. You know, probably, like, May or June they'll start announcing that. But it'll be interesting to see what what they kind of come out with. But, yeah, I, I really do think, though, 2021 – they might as well just start food and wine like February. Like just end the end the international festival of the holidays and just roll right into food and wine. Just make flower and garden food and wine all one giant festival. It's basically what it is now anyways. Um, also, the cast for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series over at Disney Plus was announced. And, you know, obviously Ewan McGregor's in it and, and Hayden Christensen will be back as Darth Vader. That was previously announced. But some interesting names for additional cast members here. So Kamal Najiani is going to be in it. Yeah, I'm excited to see him in there. I think it's interesting because he's another one of the people that, you know, he's going to be in the Eternals. So he's in the MCU and now he's over going to be in the Star Wars universe. It's kind of like once you get in the Disney machine, yeah. it's almost like Netflix. Like you see a lot of people once they're in one Netflix movie or TV show, they're in a lot. Disney seems to be doing that more and more now. It's like an Alan Tudyk kind of deal. Like he's just in everything. So um, I'm glad to see that they're doing that with Kumail because I really like him and I think he's funny. And also he plays some serious roles really well too. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. So it's exciting to see him. Also, Sung Kang, who plays Han in the Fast and the Furious franchise, is going to be in this. So he's kind of from one big franchise to another. <laughs> and then O'Shea Jackson Jr., who's actually Ice Cube's son, 
is going to be in this as well. So it's interesting for him. I, I believe he played Ice Cube in the Straight Outta Compton movie. So he's kind of an up-and-coming actor as well. And so he's going to be in the Star Wars franchise. And all of this will be directed by uh, Deborah Cho, who actually directed two episodes of The Mandalorian. I was going to say, that name sounds super familiar to me. Yeah, she was on the Disney Gallery when they interviewed all yeah. the directors. And so she did a good job there. And so now she's kind of helming this entire series. So pretty exciting. Looking forward to this coming out. I think they got some good names in here. It'll be interesting to see what characters everyone's playing in this series. And also the new Bamboo Bar and Patio opened at Splitsville in Disney Springs. So that's actually replacing the old first floor bar, which is now blocked off. And I think that it looks like a really nice area, a nice walk-up area where guests can come and kind of sit on the patio. Super appropriate for you know COVID and kind of outdoor dining and everything. So it looks like really nice and definitely would like to check it out. Yeah, that's actually one thing. We've never been to Splitsville down in Disney Springs. Right. We've never done the bowling there. And they always make it look so much fun. You know, like we've been bowling before, but it does seem to always have kind of like that extra Disney magic and all of like their advertising. Like this is a more fun bowling alley than your normal bowling alley. So I'm I mean, always, that's not hard. I'm always, <laughs> true. I'm always tempted to go. But yeah, this I mean, this sounds pretty interesting, like a nice new bar. You know, I think it's a good way to attract new people because there's probably a lot of people that go there and really either don't want to bowl or have gone there once. It's like, oh, I've done that. So it's a new way to kind of like... A little Interact bit of eye catching. Yeah, and bring new people in. So it'll be really interesting to see this next time we go down. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's jump into the 2010s. And, and Angela, as you said earlier, this is kind of odd because we just lived it, <laughs> um, at least the tail end of it. But I, I do think it's really interesting to kind of look back on it because we kind of remember it so well. Well, yeah. And then it's also interesting because, you know, every decade we always do the tens, the one that ends with a zero, up to the nines. So we go zero to nine and we don't go all the way to 2020. So a lot of news, like the things that were sticking in my mind is, oh, you know, Bob Chapek took over and Bob Iger retired. That actually didn't happen in in this decade. It's happened. It's happening in the decade we're in currently. So it kind of blew my mind a little bit that it seemed like that happened so long ago, but it just happened. Yeah, exactly. And and that's a good point because 2019 was like a high year for Disney because I mean, with 2020, <laughs> everything that, you know, that happened, um, I mean, just for everybody, 2020 was a down year. But yeah, I mean, really, you know, at the end of the last decade, so the end of the 2000s, we talked about at the end of the last episode, you know, Bob Iger coming in as CEO, he bought Pixar and kind of ushering in this acquisition expansion of Disney and really, the decade he was CEO, you know, in the in the 2010s, I mean, Disney just Thrived. got huge. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it just it grew almost exponentially um, just with all of the acquisitions. And it was a very interesting tactic because it was something that I feel like Disney has never done before. I mean, up until Bob Iger took over, Disney grew very much organically. I mean, they they created their own IP. They never really acquired intellectual property the way Iger did. So, you know, he purchased Pixar and then in in 2009, so right before the decade, he purchased Marvel for $5 billion. You know, also in the decade, they purchased Lucasfilm for $4 billion in 2012. And so those were kind of pretty three close together. And that really expanded Disney's catalog. And if you think about it, you know, from 2010 to 2019, basically what drove Disney at the box office and in the theme parks was Pixar, Lucasfilm, 
and Marvel. And, and it was just, it was an interesting way that they kind of went out and bought that growth as opposed to organically kind of, producing it. Yeah, kind of getting to their roots and, and yeah, creating that content originally. Well, and one thing, you know, not to take anything away from Bob Iger, because I think he did an excellent job leading the company, but you figure, you know, most of the people, you know, most of the CEOs of Disney during their time, they dealt with some sort of massive upheaval. So you think of Michael Eisner, he had 9-11. You think of Bob Chapek, the second he took over, we have COVID hitting. Yeah. And even Eisner, I mean, even before September 11th, you know, early in his tenure in the early 90s, his chief operating officer, Frank Wells, died in a helicopter accident. mm -hmm. And he was kind of running the show as a one-man band for a while. So you're right. They A lot of kind of adversity from, from the CEOs, but Iger didn't really necessarily deal with that. That's a good point. Yeah. But having said that, man, Instagram got me the other day. They showed me you know, a little snippet, a little advertisement for Bob Iger's masterclass. Let me tell you, I want to take that class. I'm not business-minded at all, but I mean, he, he has good sarcasm, good bite in it. I I'm so hook, line, and sinker sold on this. Yeah, and he really started in television and content. So he's very much like a story creative type person. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why it makes sense. But one thing I, I want to mention about it, so you, you kind of brought up that, you know, Iger really didn't have to deal with as much adversity as some of the previous CEOs. And I think that's that's a valid point. But I also think he did, but he foresaw it coming. And he made sure Disney led the way on it. Visionary. Right. Because, you know, if you think about it, I think he saw the times were changing. And, you know, there is this famous story of him whenever they were opening Hong Kong Disneyland that he realized all of the characters that were popular over in China were Pixar characters that Disney didn't own. And that's why the first thing he did when he became CEO is he purchased Pixar because he realized Disney animation was faltering a little bit. The original characters weren't doing so well. So I think he saw that, that Disney kind of needed help to jumpstart them. And he saw that, you know, the the digital age was coming and there was kind of this new world and new landscape for media companies. And there had to be some sort of consolidation. And so he was kind of in the forefront of that. And even, you know, at the end of the decade with the Fox acquisition, which is the biggest acquisition Disney has ever done and they paid 71 billion dollars for Fox. Now, they originally bid 52 billion in December of 2017 uh, and then famously Comcast stepped in and said, "Hey, that's kind of cheap. We'll give you 65 billion." So Disney had to step it up <laughs> to 71 billion. But that deal closed in March 2019, and that was the biggest acquisition Disney's ever done. But Fox's reason for selling all of those assets to begin with is because Fox realized they can't compete themselves. And so it's amazing to think that a $75 billion piece of their company, they had to sell off because they thought they couldn't compete. So that just goes to show you how the landscape had changed and had become much more consolidated. And I think Iger was ahead of that. And then even much more so with streaming. And we'll kind of talk about Disney Plus a little bit, but he really saw that shift and I think was ahead of it. And so I think he dealt with adversity, but yeah, I think you're right. I think he was he was very much a visionary and he saw the direction the landscape was going and got ahead of it to make sure Disney was positioned to stay number one. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. And I'm sure that's what his masterclass tells you. So there you go. <laughs> I just saved you some money. So let's kind of talk box office. 
because with all the acquisitions, Disney dominated the box office this past decade. And you might say they posterized the box office. <laughs> they did. <laughs> you know, and and really it was driven by Marvel. And that I think was probably the biggest purchase, the, the best purchase they made rather of the decade. Now, you know, I think Fox at the end of it, there wasn't enough time for that really to play out. So I think that will play out going forward. But they purchased Marvel for $5 billion. And then the first Marvel movie that was released that was fully developed under Disney was the first Avengers. That came out May 4th, 2012. It made $1.5 billion in the box office. Which I feel like is a bit of a misfire. It came out on May the 4th. It did. Yeah. It did. Well, there, were no, there were no Star Wars movies at the time. Yeah. There was, Disney there had was not purchased Lucasfilm yet. But, but overall, the MCU has made over $22 billion at the box office, and they have 23 movies. It is just absolutely amazing how that's taken off, and really Disney's dominance is almost tied to the MCU, that if they would not have made that purchase, they would not be in the position they are today without it. Right. And, you know... I, I kind of went through and I listed all the movies for the decade that like the big, big movies that came out. And it is really funny. 2010, 2011, there was really not much coming out Marvel wise, but then starting 2012, that's when the Avengers came out as Joe mentioned. And then after that, every year there's at least one Marvel film because I think they realize, Oh man, this is, this is the cash cow right here. This is, this is it right here. So we're going to make sure we produce a lot of these. It's kind of like shark tank. If you ever watch Shark Tank, Kevin O'Leary always says he wants to find a business where he can just pour money like gasoline on a fire. And that's really what Disney did with Marvel. You know, Iron Man came out. They saw it was doing well. They bought it and they just poured a ton of money on that fire and it just exploded. Wait, I feel like you now have mixed your metaphors and now you're into the Joker realm where where he's sitting on that pile of cash. That's true. No, Kevin O'Leary says that. Seriously, if you watch Shark Tank. You'll know what I'm talking about. Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful. They really accelerated Marvel's growth for sure. I mean, I think Disney helped Marvel by funding a lot of their projects and everything and giving them probably bigger budgets than they would have would have had. But also, you know, Marvel really helped Disney. I mean, there's no way Marvel would have stayed independent, I feel like, anyways, much longer. You know, if Disney didn't purchase them, somebody was going to buy them up, you know, at, at, at some point. You know, mm -hmm. maybe Sony or somebody like that say, who already like, had. I feel like it, Universal would have been a somebody really who already good... had a, a deal with them. Yeah, Universal right. Sony, but also having Pixar uh, really helped as well. So some of the big Pixar movies that came out in this decade uh, was Toy Story three that came out in June 2010, and that was the first animated movie to gross over one billion dollars at the box office. Yeah, and don't forget. Cars 2 came out in 2011. Well, I mean, go. that really broke everything. That did not gross a billion dollars at and the box office. And planes also. There's a couple of those that came out. I don't know when because I didn't write them down, yeah. surprisingly. Well, there definitely were. I mean, <laughs> you're right, though. There definitely were flops. So, you know, Cars 2, not as well reviewed. You know, The Good Dinosaur came out as well. I know you liked it, but that didn't do too great at the box office. Yeah, that but, was 2015. But Disney Studios, you know, had a big flop. John Carter, early in the decade, that came out May 9th, 2012. That only made $284 million on a $300 plus million budget. And that was like an epic flop to Disney for their live action studio. I almost think that was a turning point because, you know, later in the decade, they just started doing the remakes 
And that started doing very well for them. So you had Beauty and the Beast. You had Aladdin, Lion King, the Maleficent movies. Most of those movies made over a billion dollars at the box office. And now that is Disney's MO because... John Carter didn't do well. The Pirates of the Caribbean franchise started I was just petering say, out a yeah, bit. Yeah, yes, yeah, because in 2011 on Stranger Tides, I don't think that was as well received as the first. Those weren't three. flops, but they just but they started running out their lives. Right, though. right. I think that by then most people. I really liked that one. It's the last one that came out in 2017 that I just thought was not. It was a disservice to the franchise. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It's when. They did make that conversion over when they realized the Pirates was kind of running out of steam. They, that's when they converted over to doing those live action films. Right, and and getting back to Pixar, some of the other you know big Pixar movies that came out. We had Brave in 2012, Inside Out in 2015, Finding Dory in 2016. There there were a ton of other Pixar movies. I think Monsters University came out in the decade. The other point I want to make about this is having Pixar revitalized Disney animation. It seemed like a lot of the early movies in the decade, it seemed like they were incorporating some of Pixar's storyboarding process and they started to get better and better. You know, you get Tangled in 2010 and then Wreck-It Ralph in 2012 and then 2013 is Frozen. So, I mean, it just blows up there. Then in the same exact year, 2016, this year was crazy. You got Zootopia and Moana. So both of those movies, incredibly unique movies. I mean, Zootopia is a buddy cop mystery movie, which is something that Disney has never done. And then Moana is just this sweeping epic tale with incredible music that they haven't had since like The Lion King. I mean, people can argue that other ones have done really well, like Frozen. But, um, you know, Moana had an incredible storyline and wonderful music. It's really impressive. It is. And and that's yeah, kind of my point. Like you said, you know, some of those movies early in the decade were, were probably either started in development or just getting going once they acquired Pixar. But yeah, once they kind of fully incorporated their process, I mean you see that it's it's interesting that Toy Story Three is the first animated movie over a billion dollars and then within the decade you have Frozen go over a billion, you have Zootopia go over a billion. And so it's just kind of, you know, building on itself. And it leads to Disney, you know, by the end of the decade in 2019, making $11.1 billion at the box office, which is an all-time record. That's globally. I think that, you know, looking at my notes here, the beginning of the decade, it's really light on movies and on movies that were, you know, kind of iconic. Because again, they made other movies that didn't blow up like, um, you know, Frozen did. But if you look at 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019, the list of movies that they made there are incredible. So if you look at 2018, I mean, just the amount of movies they're able to produce, because again, they've gotten themselves in this position where they are just producing kingmaker movies. And you're talking Disney overall yeah, across all overall, their studios. Overall, you get like 2018, you get Black Panther, Avengers Inv- Infinity War, Solo, Incredibles 2, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Mary Poppins Returns. I mean, those movies all are 
pretty incredible minus maybe one of them yeah and incredibles that's another one that did over a billion dollars right so I, they just they and black by the, panther and everything yeah by the end of the decade i'm they were just producing these crazy successful films and again i think that they owe some of that to pixar with their storyboarding process that i think they were able to kind of roll out like kind of see what they do and then probably improve their own process and roll out to all of the different studios within disney yeah and we didn't even talk about Lucasfilm. So again, Disney purchased Lucasfilm in 2012. And then in this decade, we get three Star Wars sequels. We get Force Awakens in 2015, which was one of the highest grossing movies of all time. You get The Last Jedi in 2017, The Rise of Skywalker in 2019, which those last two movies weren't as well received. But Mm. Disney has really found its footing with Star Wars in Disney Plus and The Mandalorian and all the series we talked about. I mean, we talked about the Obi-Wan series coming up, and that really seems to be where they're finding its footing. I mean, heck, Marvel's finding a whole new life on Disney Plus with with the longer form content of their series as well. Fans are really loving that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I've even read an article somewhere that said these Disney Plus shows have ruined the Marvel movies for us because (laughs) to have to go back to a two hour movie that is much more formulaic because it has to be because it has to fit in right. a certain runtime. It's going to be difficult whenever you're used to these like six, seven hour things where you can really expand and explore the character's backstories. Yeah, I, I've actually noticed that. with That's a really interesting thing they bring that up because I've noticed that with myself, I would much rather sit down and watch a series rather than go to a movie theater necessarily and watch a movie just because I'm a person that loves character development. And so you know, in these series, you can actually see the character struggle. You can really, they can delve and play in that area more. Whereas in a movie, you know, you got to fit the whole thing in and those two hours. And that can cause a lot of, wreak a lot of havoc on the editing floor because, you know, lots of things have to go that are wonderful, but they're not maybe the most interesting cinematically. You know, speaking of editing floor, you know, the Snyder Cut came out recently and it was four (laughs) hours. And Joe and Anthony Russo said they'd be open to a six-hour director's cut of Endgame. I don't know if that really exists or if that was a joke or not, but I would watch six hours. I mean, the regular Endgame was three hours, so it's not that much more to get six hours in there. But I, I think it's interesting that if you look at all the studios Disney purchased, and we and you talked about how they were just kind of firing on all cylinders at the end of the decade, they purchased studios that had really good processes in place. I mean, Pixar is very well known for their creative process and, and kind of their brain trust that they have that that helps develop stories and movies. Marvel, I mean, Kevin Feige is kind of the creative force behind everything Marvel does, and it, it adds for that unity. You know, over at Lucasfilm, Kathleen Kennedy over there is really the driving force. And now it really seems like John Favreau and, and Dave Filoni are really the driving creative forces behind all the Disney Plus shows. And it's interesting that kind of all of their studios and content is kind of built around that, where they have, you know, centralized, really good processes that you would think from a creative mindset, people would be like, oh, I need to be free. I can't be structured to have this creativity. But almost having that structure seems to work incredibly well for them when there's these other studios and people have free reign and it just, their stories don't turn out as well or, or they don't resonate as much with the fans because they're kind of all over the board almost. There's there's almost too many people leading it. Whereas when you have one or two people, maybe not everybody loves every movie that comes out, but at least there's a clear direction with what they're going for. 
Right. And I think we'd be a little remiss here to mention some of the Fox movies that have come out. Uh, I just kind of highlighted a few. In 2011, The Help came out. 2012, we got Lincoln, which, you know, crazy. Daniel um, Day-Lewis. Yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis. I think he won Best Actor for that. If, I believe if I, so. If I remember correctly. And then also 2019, Ford versus Ferrari. So I, that blows my mind. When I saw that that was a Disney movie, I'm like, what? I believe Ford versus Ferrari actually came out after the Disney acquisition of Fox, whereas then you're right. All the other movies yes. kind of came They're out. They're kind of retrospectively Disney movies. Now. Exactly. Exactly. And then one other thing, you know, can't cannot get through the movies that came out in this decade without mentioning one of my favorite ones that came out in this decade, 2019, Frozen 2, and also Togo. Togo was a good movie, but Frozen 2, incredible movie, great soundtrack, arguably one of the best soundtracks ever. Very Fight true. Me. Yeah, you got two Frozens <laughs> in one decade. Very cold decade. <laughs> yes. All right, so let's move on to the parks because while a lot happened over at the studios and in the box office, I feel like just as much happened in the parks. Like going back, I think this is what I was most amazed by because I kind of felt like looking at this that, oh, maybe not a lot happened at the parks. Like you kind of felt like there was a few years where Disney really wasn't opening much at the parks or not a lot was happening. But when you look back at everything that happened in this past decade, there really was a lot that happened. And and yeah. I think it was just kind of spread out, and that's why you didn't really think of it. But the the big kind of thing at the start of the decade was the rehab over at Disney California Adventure was finally complete. <laughs> so when DCA opened, it was not very well received. It didn't have a, a lot of attractions. The kind of layout of it maybe wasn't the best. And so attendance really wasn't that great. They were only getting about 5.5 million people in attendance in 2008. And so they announced a five-year kind of rehab refurbishment of it. It was a $1.5 billion total update. And the grand reopening happened June 15th, 2012. That's how we got Cars Land. Also, as part of this, the World of Color opened in June of 2010. Paradise Pier opened as part of this. So really, it transformed DCA, and it helped turn it around from a park that a lot of people didn't really care if they went to, to a park that people had to go to, especially for Cars Land, and now what they're building with the Avengers Campus and everything. So, you know, attendance picked up in 2012, the year of the grand reopening. They had 7.7 <laughs> million. I thought you were going to say like the year of the dragon or something. No, no the year <laughs> of the grand reopening, they had 7.7 7 million people. And now they're getting around 9.9 .9 million people. Um, also over at, at DCA, I do want to mention this, that the redo of the Tower of Terror to Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout occurred in 2017, which... I know, Angela, that is your favorite version of Tower of Terror and probably one of the best... Undisputably. Yeah, and probably one of the best attractions Disney's ever done. And it's an overlay, which I'm, is impressive. I'm jonesing to go back to Disneyland when they let people you know, who are non-California natives go back there because I cannot wait to ride this ride again. It's just an all overall fun time. And it takes what what it's kind of a scary ride and just makes it a joy ride. So yeah, I can't wait to go back and ride that again. Moving over to Disney World, Art of Animation actually partially opened the Nemo Rooms only in 2012, which 
again, that's so recent and that's where we pretty much always stay. So it's crazy to me to think that that's just opened in this past decade. Also in the same year, Enchanted Tales with Belle opened along with Be Our Guest on December 6th. So I didn't even realize that that was a relatively new attraction and restaurant. Yeah, that was all part of the new Fantasyland expansion, which also gave us in, in 2014, the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train mm-hmm. attraction. So that was part of you know, the whole overhaul you know, so as much as, as DCA kind of went through an overhaul for five years, Walt Disney World went through a lot as well. So you, you already talked about Art of Animation and a few of the other attractions. But besides New Fantasyland over at the Magic Kingdom, I mean, Walt Disney World as a whole went through some seismic changes in all of their parks. And, you know, a lot of it was a direct response to up the street at Universal at Harry Potter World. And so midway through the decade, they actually announced that they had made a deal with James Cameron to bring Avatar to the Animal Kingdom, which was a huge expansion for the Animal Kingdom. And that finally opened in 2017 at an estimated cost of $400 million. And that took them forever to build that. I mean, they they announced that early on in the decade, um, but it, it turned out incredibly well. And that wasn't the only kind of additional land they had. I mean, Hollywood Studios, I think, probably went through the biggest changes of any park down at Walt Disney World in the decade because you had some major attractions closed there. Right. So you have Lights, Motors, Action, which was a pretty popular stunt show. It was closed to make room for Toy Story Land and Galaxy's Edge. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie set adventure also closed. And also you have the great movie ride, which closed. And so all of those rides closed to make room for, you know, uh, Toy Story Land, to make room for Galaxy's Edge, and also Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Rail. Right. And Mickey and Minnie's opened in 2020. Uh, Toy Story Land opened in, in 2018. Galaxy's Edge in 2019. So, yeah, that that really changed the layout, really. I mean, it, it changed kind of how you navigate through Hollywood studios at adding those additional lands there. And like you said, you know, Mickey and Minnie's runaway railway coming in, in 2020. And again, I think I go back to the point where I, you know, I kind of at, at the start of this thought, Oh yeah, not a lot happened. But then when you think about it, I mean, Disney essentially opened four lands in the decade at Walt Disney world, new fantasy land. Now granted that was already there, but it was pretty major redo. And then opening the additional lands of Pandora, Toy Story Land, and Galaxy's Edge. And really the only park that really wasn't touched significantly was Epcot. And you see now Epcot's going through its own transformation. So that was announced near the end of the decade that's going to roll into the 2020s where they're kind of redoing the whole front entrance and and everything with Epcot. And so you know it's interesting. They, they kind of made major changes at the other three parks. And now, you know, they're kind of coming back to Epcot. But Epcot did have, you know, some changes as well. We, we got some new attractions over there. Yeah, you know, in 2014, Milestrom closed on October 5th. And then in 2016, that is when Frozen Ever After opened on June 21st. So it took them a while to make the fluid animatronics and like the ice cave that you go backward through and everything. But yeah, it, it turned out beautifully. I think that that's definitely one of the must-do rides in Epcot. Oh, for sure. And, you know, we're, we're getting Ratatouille this year. Um, so kind of moving internationally, that attraction first debuted over at Disneyland Paris in 2014. So again, mm-hmm. relatively recently. And, you know, most of the time when Disney 
releases a part uh, a new attraction internationally, they have like a five year waiting period. So that's why you saw 2014 is when Ratatouille opened in Paris, and then basically five years they kind of announced that it was supposed to open last year. You know, six years after, so kind of right after that five year window closes or opens, I guess, rather, that they can bring it stateside. They were planning to bring it stateside. So so that that opened recently. Over in Hong Kong Disneyland, a uh, big attraction they got, this was in 2012, but we talked about this a few weeks ago, so I wanted to bring it up, is the Big Grizzly Mountain Runaway Mine Cars, oh, yeah. which is basically a combination of Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Expedition Everest, and Aerosmith's Rock and Roller Coaster all in one. It sounds incredible. The ride through looks incredible. There's animatronic bears that basically t- kind of take the place of the Yeti for like messing with the track and and messing <laughs> with you on your journey. And this was one that we, we talked about reimagining the Magic Kingdom. That I said bring this over stateside. <laughs> you know, replace Big Thunder Mountain Railroad with this because it, it it does sound pretty incredible. And then we also got internationally a brand new theme park. So it's pretty amazing i think but the shanghai resort will be celebrating its five-year anniversary this year so they broke ground in april of 2011 on the shanghai disneyland and then it it finally opened five years later june 16th 2016 it was a 4.4 billion dollar expansion so again it's it's pretty crazy whenever you look back on it and i think because you know, every year, maybe one or two new things open. So it's kind of easy to dismiss. Oh, yeah, not a lot has come out. But then whenever you look back on it in totality over the decade, there's quite a lot that happened. So Mm -hmm. not only were they acquiring major franchises and just dominating the box office, they were really expanding their reach in the theme parks as well. Exactly. And then kind of tangential to the theme parks, we have a couple other Disney-related developments. So in 2010, we have plans for Golden Oak revealed, which I didn't even know this existed. These homes start at the upper $2 million now, and they're located... Very expensive. Yeah, they're like right kind of triangulated in the middle of the parks. They're kind of like off to the northeast of Epcot. And they are crazy looking houses. I was looking at them like, Ooh, this is fun. And then I was like, Oh yeah. In your dreams. Never. Like this will never ever happen. Yep. So, and then in 2011, we got Olani, which is the Hawaiian resort that we did a whole episode on. Oh man, probably like 50 episodes ago. It feels like a long time ago now. You know, this is the one on Oahu. And this is a DVC property as well. It looks incredible and it has a it's a beautiful landscape, but then it has a Disney flair. So you have characters, you have, you know, Lilo and Stitch and Olu. So pretty excited to go and check all that out. Yeah, it's it's widely regarded as the nicest resort Disney's ever built. And mm-hmm. and Joe Rohde was actually the lead designer on this. So it's no surprise that it's beautifully done and and really well received he was the designer on animal kingdom and pandora and and that's a great park and that's a great land as well so it's kind of no surprise there but uh, yeah it it looks beautiful and i've only heard great things about it mm-hmm. all right and then the last thing i wanted to talk about because this kind of ended the decade is disney plus and this is kind of going back to what we talked about with bob Iger, kind of seeing that change in the landscape and he really was ahead of the game here. And this was, I think, a big reason they made the Fox acquisition was to bolster the Disney Plus library. But Disney Plus launched on November 12th, 2019. We had the Mandalorian launch then. Critical acclaim. 
much fanfare. Everybody loved it. What is a baby Yoda? Exactly. What is a baby Yoda? I don't know that we even still know, to be honest <laughs> with you. So hopefully we get more baby Yoda going forward. But Disney Plus Origins really started back in 2016. Wow. So in August of 2016, Disney acquired a 33% stake in BAM Tech for a billion dollars. And this was Major League Baseball's streaming service. Wait, really? Yeah. So they, they spun this company out. So they had developed their own technology for streaming baseball games and things. And they spun it out as a separate company. It had outside investors and everything. So Disney acquired a 33% stake in them with the plan to use them for an ESPN streaming service huh. to kind of use them as their back end technology for this. And then a year later, Disney announced that it had exercised its option to increase its stake to 75% and it paid another $1.5 billion for that. So they paid about two and a half billion dollars for 75% of BAM tech for a controlling ownership of the company. And then in September of 2017, you got the announcement that they've decided that they're going to develop their own Disney streaming service using this technology. And so it really was good foresight on that by you know, they, they started in 2016 because they knew they needed something with ESPN. They knew cable cutting was a thing. It's real. Yeah, and, and they, were, they were feeling those effects. But within a year, they pretty quickly said, you know, we need to own this company. We need to own this technology and develop our own streaming service. And then, yeah, from that point on, it was just a matter of over the next two years, how do we get as much content as humanly possible to make this valuable to our customers. I mean, and quite honestly, they really didn't have to do a lot. I mean, with the Mandalorian, <laughs> that, that was really the only big thing they had on there, plus the whole back catalog. But, you know, now, a little over a year later, I mean, Disney Plus is over 100 million subscribers. They own Hulu now with the Fox acquisition. And so, you know, that's got 20 million subscribers or so. So they are really dominating streaming, really only second to Netflix. I mean, yeah. it's it's pretty crazy to think how you know, Netflix has been around for years, mm-hmm. kind of building up their streaming platform. And there's a lot of other streaming services. You know, people were, were coming into streaming, trying to create their own networks in, in the 2010s. But, you know, Disney came in and within a year, year and a half is now the number two player in the space. And and it, it seems to me that, you know, going forward, I think Disney and Netflix will continue to dominate. And I think you're going to see more consolidation in it because I don't think people are going to want to buy individual streaming services for CBS and NBC and Fox and ABC and and, you know all these other ones that they have going on and discovery and things like that that you're really only going to want two or three you're going to want Netflix maybe HBO Disney plus maybe Hulu maybe not maybe Amazon Prime depending on what you are and Hulu's you know a cousin to Disney plus essentially exactly so it, it, it is just crazy to think how they just became such a major player in the market so quickly. But but yeah, it's interesting. It's like you know Disney Plus, we think, has only been around for a year. But really, as an idea, I'm sure it's been around even longer than 2016. But that's really when kind of the first piece was put in place that kind of started them on this trajectory. And now, you know, we've talked about it recently that they've kind of reorganized their whole business, that yeah. they're focused on streaming now first almost. And and there's a lot of movies that are coming out solely on streaming that 
<laughs> used to be in the theaters. Solely yes, on streaming. Soul was one of them, exactly. So yeah, so it's it's really interesting to see, and I think this next decade will be very interesting to see what happens. And I'm sure, you know, at the pace of technology changes that by the end of the decade, we're going to look back now on 2020, 2021. And, and when we're amazed at what's happening now, we're going to think, Oh, that's nothing. Like we now have holograms in our, <laughs> I was just thinking houses. that. Yeah. Like a hologram genie or something, you know, just like ha- popping out in our house. We can just hang out with him. And then in the 2030s, then he can actually grant us wishes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, but I think that wraps up this decade again, really ending on a high note, which I think is good. We won't start leaking into the next decade because <laughs> things kind of uh, go get, off the rails. Yeah, they get somber very quickly. <laughs> that will be for nine years from now when we talk about the 2020s. We can talk about what 2020 and 2021 was like. But yeah, the 2010s, it was a great decade for Disney. And, you know, I think the first hundred years were a great hundred years. If, if you want to learn more about the history of Disney, again, go back uh, and listen to all of our Disney Decade episodes. You can find them wherever you get your podcast. You can also head over to our website, enchantedears.com slash podcast. And all of our episodes are there. And you can actually search for Disney Decade. And that way, it might be the easiest way to find them all because they're kind of sprinkled throughout. Yeah, and I, I mean, I will say that there are some pretty awesome episode covers, if I do say so myself. There you go. Good plug for yourself there. <laughs> we want to thank everybody again for listening this week. We really appreciate it. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. It really helps. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.